We want to wish you all a good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome to High Point Live. Uh, we are just so excited to have you with us this morning. This morning, my sermon is entitled, Only the Broken. Only the Broken. And it's taken from uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 25. Uh, you'd see that on your screen right now. Um, now, this is about the altar, all right? The altar. And this is what God says. Now, this is very interesting. And God says, But if you decide to build an altar out of stone for me, use only natural stones, not hand-cut stones, because any attempt to shape them with your tools will desecrate the altar. Isn't that a strange request from God? He says, if you want to build an altar for me, Use only crude, unpolished stones. I don't want you to, to take stones from a, from a, you know, take stones and then chisel it and shape it so that it looks nice and it fits all together nicely so that the altar looks, you know, uh, well made. It says that's not what I'm looking for. Use only stones that are unhewn. Don't chisel it. Don't shape it. Uh, the altar should be built out of rude unpolished stones, stones taken from quarries, stones uh, found lying by the way uh, or found in a heap, stones that people wouldn't even give a second look at and they would probably uh, tread on it as they walk. Those are the kind of stones I'm looking for. Use those kind of stones. Isn't that a very interesting instructions given to the children of Israel? Uh, when we read that, we will probably miss something like that. It's the observations of the obscure. Now, why did God say that? Why did God say, use unhewn stones? Uh, there are a couple of reasons, all right? Um, but I, I'm going to just point out three reasons. Uh, first of all, you see, the nations around them, the idolatrous nations, they built altars as well. And their altars were ornate. They were... Um, uh, they, they were lavishly built, right, with, with hewn stones, nicely chiseled, nicely built, nicely fitted, you know, and with ornaments and all of that. All the nations around them had those altars built. Altars that had a high place, altars that people could observe and admire. And God says, I don't want that. I don't want that. And so he said, I know all the nations around you have that, but listen, I want you to be different from them. I want you to do this for me so that you disassociate yourselves from them. And that has always been the constant call of God over our lives, isn't it? To be separate from the people around us. That is God's call over the church. That's God's call over our lives. He says that you're in this world, not of this world. It's this constant call over us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, the voice says this, So then, turn away from them. Turn away and leave without ever looking back, says the Lord. Stay away from anything unclean, anything impure, and I will welcome you. Other versions of that verse says, be ye separate from them. Come out from them. I don't want you 
to look the same as the people around you. You are my people. I have called you out of the world. I've called you out of them. And you should be a called out people. You're not like the rest. So I, want, I don't want you to do things that would associate yourselves with the others. Now, I just want to pause here. I want to ask ourselves, are we like other people? Are, are we like the others around us? In what way can we be like them? Well, let me just share with you a few things. <coughs> we can be like the others in our goals and dreams. You talk about, you, you talk to others, you know, your friends, your colleagues, your, your, your associates, you know, your neighbors. Ask them what their goals and dreams are. To make as much money as possible, to be successful, to ensure that my children all have good jobs and good education, to ensure that my family is well taken care of, to ensure, you know, everything that people would tell you, would tell you, would tell you that they are very concerned about this life. Now, there's nothing wrong in being concerned about this life. But the Bible says to build up treasures in heaven, not on earth. And our goals as Christians should be different. Our aims, our dreams as Christians should be different from the dreams of the people around us. What separates us from them? What makes us different? Because the, bio, the, the call of God over our lives is to come out and to be different. What about our language? Do we speak like the people around us? Do we... Do we use profanity when we are frustrated or when we are angry? We won't do that in church, I know. God forbid. But what happens when we are in the office? When something happens that doesn't go your way? Does an expletive come out of your mouth? Does profanity come out of your mouth? Because the Bible tells us very clearly that from the same faucet cannot come dirty water and clean water. So if we claim to be people who praise God and worship God as we have done this morning, on a Sunday morning, on a Monday morning, there's profanity coming out of our mouth, something is wrong. Because the scripture says, because the source of that water would come from the cistern. So if dirty water comes from this faucet, the cistern is dirty. So if profanity comes out of our lips, if curses come out of our lips, then the cistern, the spirit, the soul, there's a problem with that. Shouldn't we be different? Shouldn't the words that come out of our mouth be different from the words that come out of the mouth of other people? What about our sensitivity to sin? Sometimes we are living in a world today, you know, where <laughs> the sin factor is, is so played down that it has become normalized. For people to live together without being married, uh, for homosexual relationships, uh, for things around us that we know isn't God's blueprint for the human being, uh, for the way we, we live our lives. And the corruption, for example, taking money under the table, uh, for uh, cheating people just to get ahead, uh, for telling lies, and all of these and we can become so desensitized because that's the way of the world. And because we are living here, we have suddenly become not just in this world, but we've become off it. 
The call of God is for us to be in but not off the world. To be separate, to come out. What about our purpose for living? What is your purpose for living? As a blood-bought Christian from the church of God, what is your purpose for living? Are you purposed? Are you determined to be purposeful living for the kingdom of God? Or, or are you living for your family or living for yourself or living to, to get ahead in the world and do well in the world so that you can look back and say, I have done well. What is your purpose? What makes you different? That's the first thing. Now, the second thing is, why did God say to use stones that are unhewn? Because he's, he, one of the reasons is to prevent them from making images from stone. Once they start to hew those stones, once they start to, to, to fashion those stones and the stones look good, they might think, look, I can do this. This is a skill I can use. And, and they will start to fashion other things. It happened to the children of Israel many, many times. At the foot of Mount Sinai, they could see the mountain rumble. They could, they could hear the thunder they could feel the ground tremble. They could see the cloud that came, the glory cloud that came and covered the top of the mountain as Moses was up there with God. And they could feel and see and hear and all of that. And yet, and yet they went to Aaron and said, look, God isn't here. He's over there and he's not coming. Let's make our own God. And they fashioned a God out of gold, a golden calf. It happened to Israel many, many times when they would bring in idols from elsewhere and desecrate the land. You see, idolatry cuts us off from God because it is abomination to God. Is our worship abominable to God? Do we come and worship on a Sunday, but in our hearts we carry idols? Because we can, you know, we can. What kind of idols do, may we carry? Let me tell you, it could be academic achievement. That all you think about from Monday to Saturday is my studies. That's all you think about. I need to do my studies. I need to do well. I need to ensure I get my scholarship. I need, uh, everything else is put on hold because my studies come first. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says to seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'm not saying put your studies on hold. I'm just saying make your studies all about honoring God. And then that means that you study because you honor God first. Our idols can be our career. I need to get ahead. I need to make my boss happy. So I will bend over backwards to please my boss. That's an idol. Your career becomes an idol because in, in your pursuit to pleasing your boss, you would compromise. You would compromise on values. You would compromise on priorities. And that becomes your idol. Money. I will do anything for money. I will do anything for money. I would cut corners for money. I will, this is a little bit, I will just you know, manipulate the accounts a little bit because I need money. That becomes your idol. You know, our families, our children can become our idol. I've got a family now, so church would have to take 
um, uh, you know, church will have to move to the background. Uh, for the next six years, until my kids go to school, I, will, I cannot serve. Then your family becomes your idol. You know, this, these are some of our idols. It may not be a figurine that you bring into your home. It could be something that you raise up in your heart to be above God. That becomes an idol. Now, the third reason is because of this. If the altar was a work of splendor and art, any blessing that man may receive from God at the altar could be misconstrued and attributed to their own elaborate work in honoring God. And that happens very, very often as well. You know, there are many churches, they go out of their way to make everything look good and professional. And sometimes we miss God in all of that. You see, worship is all about the Lord. And I've always said this, it's all about an audience of one. An audience of one. It's not about the collaterals. It's not about the music. It's not about the lightings. It's not even about the fellowship or the atmosphere. It is about the Lord. It's about the Lord. That's what the worship is about. And the moment it stops being about the Lord, we are missing the mark. All right? We're missing the mark. What if there's no music? What if there was no music this morning? What happens then? What if there's a power failure? What happens then? You are in your home. You don't have a live band. How did you worship this morning? Did you sit down and stare at the TV screen and allow a performance to take place? Or were you engaged with God in your living room or wherever it is that you're watching this? You know, the tendency and the, and, and, and the temptation really is to disengage with God. On a Sunday morning now that we are not in the church building and we are at home, we can completely disengage with God and just turn the TV on, go down, take our breakfast, bring the breakfast up, eat our breakfast while the worship is being done by a group of people uh, that, was, that was recorded and deemed live. That's not worship. That's being a spectator. God has never called us to be spectators. When the music fades and all is stripped away, what happens then? And I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. That's worship. When everything is stripped away, what do we mean when we say, I really enjoyed the worship this morning? What do we mean? What do we mean by that? Did we, do we mean I really enjoyed the music? I was so blessed by the worship leader. Oh, this morning, everybody was clapping and the singing was great. 
Is that what we mean? Oh, I had a good time at worship. That's not what worship is, my friends. Worship is never meant for us to enjoy. Worship is meant for God to take delight in. Let me repeat that. Worship is never meant for us to enjoy. Worship is for God to take delight in. So when we say we enjoy our worship, we miss the mark. Our business is not to enjoy the worship. Our business is to enjoy God in the worship. So this morning, I just want to leave four points with us. All right? Four points. Because we are looking at worship. We talked about the altar. And the altar is the place where the worship, the sacrifice is made. And so this is the four points that I want to leave home with you. And I want to leave with you this morning. Number one, it's not about the place. It's about the heart. It's not about the place. It's about the heart. I remember Jesus' confrontation, encounter with the woman of Samaria at the well in Samaria. And the woman tells Jesus, she says in verse 19, John 4, verse 19, Sir, verse 20, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people must worship? And Jesus said, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when neither in Jerusalem nor on this mountain will you actually worship the Father. The time is coming when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And that time is here already. You see, church, there are people who worship the place. They miss God. They worship the place. And they worship the church. It happened in the time of Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah, the prophet, he was so incensed, he stood up and he rebuked the people as a prophet. And he said, don't trust, in Jeremiah 7, 4, he said, don't trust the lies of people who say, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord. He says, don't trust them when they say that. Their, their focus is all on the wrong thing. It's about the temple. You see, they had a glorious temple, Yes. And that's what happened. You know, when Solomon built his temple, for example, it was splendid. It was wonderful. And then the temple was torn down. And later on, in the days of Malachi and Haggai, when they came and built the temple, in the days of Haggai, sorry, they came and rebuilt the temple. Uh, when Ezra built the temple and, and Haggai, and the prophet Haggai talked about uh, the, the, you know, while, while this temple isn't as beautiful as the old one. It's not as beautiful as the temple of Solomon, but the glory of the latter temple is greater than the one of the former. It's not about how beautiful the place is. It's about the glory that resides in the temple. Glory that resides in the church. People worship the rituals. Oh, we must have the Lord's Prayer. We must have the communions every week. We must do this. We must do that. You know, the traditions are important. Those are the traditions on which the church is built. That's not worship. That's not worship. The Lord says you should be worshiping in spirit and in truth. The truth is what's found in the scriptures, not on tradition. Not rituals. The truth of the scripture. That's important. To worship in spirit simply means to worship with your emotions. 
You know, when we were growing up in church, we, we were always told that we must never be emotional. And everything must be based on the Word of God. But the Word of God, there were people who were emotional. Prophet Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was an emotional man. David was an was a, was a emotional worship person. He danced before the Lord. And when we worship, there must be that element of truth and emotions. You cannot tell God you love Him without feeling anything for Him. Because when you do that, then it's just lip service. It's about the heart. Church, it's about the heart. How did you worship this morning? Were you up? Were your hands raised? Were your voices raised? Were you looking up and, and just worshiping God with all your heart? Or are you... And watching the screen on TV. So it's not about the place, it's about the heart. Now the second point I want to share with you this morning, it's not about pleasing God, it's about honoring Him. It's not about pleasing God, it's about honoring Him. You see, the altar can also become an idol. In the nations around Israel, their altars, as I said, were, were ornate, build, ornate structures. Well decorated, very beautifully made, steps leading up to it from all sides and high up. And everybody could see and, you know, and, and the priest would go there and have a sanctimonious ceremony. And, and, and you know, everybody looks at it and says, wow. And they think that that's the way they can please their God. The better we do it, the more pleasure their gods would take out of that. And the altars can become our idol, the worship itself. We think the fancier, the better. And God says the harder you try, the more you pollute the offering. So God says, I, I don't want you to hew the stones. I don't want you to decorate the thing. I don't even want you to make steps up and put the altar up somewhere. I want it down, down there. Right? The more fancy you make it, the more you try, the more you pollute the offering. See, nothing should take our focus off from God. Because the altar is the place we put the offering. And the focus is not the offering, the focus is the one to whom we offer. That's the focus. Nothing should take our eyes and focus off from God. It's not about please. There's nothing. God is not impressed by the way we do things. But when we honor Him, He takes delight. The third thing it's not about the preparation, it's about the hunger. It's not about the preparation. It's about the hunger. You know, growing up, I remember we were told you got to put on your Sunday best when you go to church. And you went to church, all the leaders, the elders and deacons all had their ties on. And everybody had to dress up properly. When people come with the t-shirt, 
you can be sure an elder or a deacon will pull you aside and ask you, why are you wearing this? How can you honor God when you wear something like this? Too much is made of how beautiful a place should be. Now, I'm not against any of these things, okay? Please uh, don't get me wrong. I believe you need to, you know, show honor and respect to not just God, but to, to the house of God. And I think that if we are going to offer God something, we've got to give Him our best. But it's not about the preparation. That's my point. It's about the hunger. Too much is made of making an impression. We want to make an impression so that people come and say, wow. When that happens, we miss the point. Because at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to have an atmosphere where people come hungry for God. Hungry for God. And I was just reading through some of the comments when we were worshipping. It says, Holy Spirit, come invade us. Lord, we want more. And that for me is hunger. When the worship starts, everything else is put aside. Ah, God, it's all about you and I'm hungry for you. I'm not here. I'm not here because I want to feel good. I'm here because I want you so much. I want to have you speak to me. I want you to touch me. I want you to transform me. I want you to fill me. I, I, I come to you because I am hungry. You know what the Bible tells us? Jesus said this on the Sermon of the Mount. He says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. They shall be filled. So if there is no hunger, church, there will be no satisfaction. Fourth one. It's not about presentation. It's about habitation. It's not about presentation. It's about habitation. See, the peripherals aren't important. You know, I, I love music. And for me, yes, music is important. I, I want the music to be good. I want the music to be uplifting. But, you know, it's, it's one thing to have great music and even sound professional and professional lighting and all of that. But behind the professionalism, there can be no presence. Behind all that professionalism, there can be no presence. And then all that counts for nothing. Counts for nothing. Because what we want is not presentation. We want habitation. You know, we, we, we know Revelation 3.20 even by heart. All right? And we quote Revelation 3.20 to, to our non-Christian friends. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal. And we will share a meal together as friends. That's the NLT version. Um, and we know this verse and so we quote it to non-Christians. But this verse was never written to a non-Christian. Revelation 3.20 was written to a church, the church at Laodicea. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in. What does that tell me? That tells me that Jesus was outside the church while, the, while there was a supper going on inside, while, while they were organizing. Jesus was outside. They need to be agonizing you know, for more of God. 
And then they have the presence of God. See, the Israelites were tempted to elevate the altars and to build steps leading up to it so that the altars look like, you know, the altars around them. And Jesus says, and God says, no, don't do that. Because as you walk up the steps, the priests wear their garbs, their gowns. People will look under your, the garbs. I think children would do that. And your nakedness will be exposed. And so God said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. See, just looking good exposes your nakedness. We are not here to look good. We are not here to, 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 to be professional. We are here to host the presence of God. And we don't need to get to a high place to reach God. The nations around them thought the higher they build their altar, the closer they could become to God. But church, Christianity is not about that. Christianity is about Jesus coming down to meet us where we are. It's not about us trying to get up so that we become closer to God. That's not Christianity. That's what the nations around us believe. But for us, it's about Jesus coming down to where we are. It's about habitation. I've always told this to our musicians. I said, I want us to raise the standard of our music. But we should never compromise the worship. I said, it's not about you getting your chords right. It's not about you getting the words right. It's not about you getting the music right and great. When you're up there, yes, play your best, but don't just play. I said, when you're up there, you worship. Your instrument becomes an extension. It's like everybody else has their hand raised. You have your instruments. And that's raised up to the Lord. Because as you play, you don't play anymore. You worship. As you sing, you don't sing. You worship. So it's not about the preparation. It's about habitation. Those are the four points. So now in closing, dear church, take-homes. Just four take-homes. So what do we learn about this altar that God talks about? I don't want you to heal those stones. Just pick whatever stones around you. They could be rough. They could be ugly looking. It really doesn't matter. Broken stones. Those are the kind of stones I want you to build my altar with. So these are the take-homes. Number one, God is looking for the broken, not the perfect. This is something that I really love about God. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect. He invites us to come to Him when we, while we are still broken. While we are still broken. Because when we spruce up and we try and look good, and we try and put on our masks and we come to Him, trying to look good and perfect and poised, God can see through the fake that we bring before him. God sees us as phonies, as fakes. God doesn't need that. God welcomes us while we are still broken, while we are still struggling, while we are still, you know, uh, uh, while we are still battling our own baggages. God invites us. 
And as we come to Him, the, body, the Bible says, bring ourselves as living sacrifice and place ourselves before the Lord. Say, Lord, here I am I. Lord, but I want to worship You. I want to give myself to You in worship. But Lord, I am broken. It's on an altar like that that the best sacrifices are offered. You know, when Abraham put Isaac on that altar, he didn't do it gleefully. He did it as a broken man. His heart was breaking. There were tears streaming down his, fa his face. His hand as he pulled out that dagger and as the blade glinted in the sun, sunbeam, sunshine, his hand was probably trembling. His heart was breaking. He couldn't speak as his son said, Dad, what are you doing? Dad, why? Dad, why? He couldn't even look at his son. He couldn't even answer. But that was his sacrifice. A sacrifice from a broken heart. And, you know, that, that sacrifice honored God and he, and God came to him. And God provided for him. And God showed up at Jehovah Jireh. Second thing, God has called us to identify with Him and not the world. If there's no difference between us and those around us, then may I suggest, then may I suggest that we cannot be called people of God because the people of God is a called out people. The church is a called out people. Ecclesia called out the people belonging to God Pastor Padi read to us just now from Peter you're a holy people you're a royal priest with a holy uh, a holy people a people belonging to God and God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light we are different we have to be different it's not a put on difference it's a real transformation that has taken place inside us and it and it overflows, it bubbles over, and people be begin to realize and notice that we are different. So we, we need to look different, we need to speak different, we need to be heard as different people and seen as different people. We need to be people who react differently because God has called us to identify with Him, not the world. Number three, take home. God sees the heart not the offering. God sees the heart, not the offering. When God looked at Abraham, he didn't look at Isaac. It wasn't Isaac. It was Abraham. He saw Abraham's heart. He said, because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, turn, look in the thicket, a ram caught in the thicket by its horns, because you have not withheld. It was not the offering. It was the heart of Abraham. So it's not about how well you sing at the worship. It's not about how well you play if you're a musician. It's not about how well you look as you're dressed up and come for a worship service. It's about your heart as you offer to God. If you place on the altar a half-hearted worship, God sees that. 
And finally, God wants us to enjoy Him, not the worship. God wants us to enjoy Him and not the worship. But as we enjoy Him, as, as we enjoy Him in the worship, we will come away from the worship feeling very fulfilled because we have met the Lord. We sang that song just now. Would you meet me here again? That's what happens. It's what happened. It's what happened to, to Jacob. He says, this is Bethel because God is here. God is here. And so it's not about the place. It's not about the worship. It's about the Lord. That we would enjoy Him. Not the worship. So this is the observation of the obscure. That one verse in Exodus about God's instructions on how to build an altar. I pray that this word of God blesses your heart this morning even as we contemplate our own worship, not just with what we do on a Sunday, but throughout the week. We're heading into a new week. Worship God through the week. Don't just wait for the Sunday. Because your worship is not just what you sing. It's how you live. And what you say. And how you enjoy your God. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to invite Sister Usha to come and to close us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne acknowledging that you are our sovereign Lord. You are the King of kings. You are are the one who is in control of everything in our lives, not only here on earth, but in the heavens above us, Lord. Father, it's good to know that we can call you in such a personal manner because you love us. You not only are around us, you are within us because you have chosen us to be living stones in the, in the temple of Christ, the body. So each of us, we, have, we are a host of your presence in our lives. Lord, as we come, we know that you are the omniscient God. You are the omnipresent God. You are the omnipotent God. Nothing happens without your knowledge. Nothing can happen without your permission. And you put a limit to everything that's going on in our lives. Lord, you have said in your word that we will not be tempted beyond our endurance as long as we are connected to you. We are with you and we want to know that your presence is very real in our lives. So draw us closer to you that we can see you 
in all your glory and appreciate you, Lord, and to be thankful that we know you and that you hold our future in your hands. Lord, as we go each day, though we are not uh, certain about our future, how it will turn out to be, but we know you are the one who is leading us and you hold the future, Lord, so we can go out in confidence knowing that you are in front of us, you are behind us and you are with us so that we can be encouraged, strengthened, and we will be enabled, empowered to be your living stones, your temple, to shine out your glory, not through buildings or through our programs, but through our lives, because you are in us. So for that, we want to thank you, Lord, for being with us. All this, we really with hearts full of gratitude and thankfulness, we pray that you will take delight in us. All this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.